Welcome to Bethesda Broadcast, the podcast of Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. To start out the new year, we have a special guest speaker from this past Sunday at Bethesda. Ryan Burkett, son of our senior pastor Roy Burkett, delivered the message this past Sunday. Ryan spoke on what it looks like to crucify ourselves in our day-to-day lives. We encourage you to open up your Bibles and follow along with Ryan as he looks at the crucified life. You know, New Year's is a great time. Everyone always making New Year's resolutions. And I was just going to share with you today some of the top New Year's resolutions for 2016, according to ABC News, if my memory serves. I believe they got them from, like, Go Farming or something like that. So, number five is save more, spend less. Logical. If you save more money, spend less money, you have more money. Number four, spend more time with friends and family. After all, we only live once, right? So it's always good to spend time with friends and family. Number three, of course, this one dropped a couple places in recent years, but lose weight, dropped to third. And then there's number two, live a healthier lifestyle. And then the number one New Year's resolution, any guesses? Out of curiosity? Okay. Live life to the fullest is the number one New Year's resolution for 2016. You know, me, whenever I start for New Year or New Year's Eve, I always put my left foot in the air. So then I always start the New Year off on the right foot. (laughs) But live life to the fullest. You know, every year we make these New Year's resolutions, and uh, why do we do them? I got thinking about that, and I thought, you know, I guess I make New Year's resolutions for me, and I would say this is true of most of us, because just the idea of a fresh start, a new beginning, is something that we long for because we've all made mistakes, right? And a new beginning is desirable to us because of that. So I'm going to discuss three ways how we can renew ourselves instead of having to make all these New Year's resolutions. You know, we talk about the crucified life. And really when we crucify something, it is the end of one thing, but the beginning of a new thing. And the first topic we're going to talk about is the flesh. The flesh needs to be crucified. The first thing is discipline for ministry. That basically means we need to discipline our bodies in order that we are not disqualified preaching to others. I will now read 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified." In other words, we should practice what we preach. When I stand up here and say something, tell you how to live life, I should be living the same way. Because if I tell you, for example, not to steal, okay, and I go out and I steal, 
then I should be disqualified for ministry. That is what Paul is telling the Corinthians here, that they should practice what they preach. And that's what we should do, discipline for ministry. The way we live our lives is important. Coach John Wooden, some of you may have heard this. My dad told me this the other night, and I thought it was pretty good. He once told his players on the basketball court, whenever someone assists you, when you make a basket, you will always point to that person who assisted you. That is a requirement for this team. And someone asked Coach Wooden, but Coach, what if you're not looking? He said, they're always looking. But that's so true. People are always looking at us. When they hear that we are believers, when they hear that we attend church, people view us differently. They tend to do that. They tend to, sometimes they watch if we'll mess up. So we should be careful how we live our life. And that is for the purpose of evangelism. When they see our lives, how we live, not just for ourselves, but for Jesus, when they see that, that is evangelism. I once heard that the best sermons are not the ones that are preached, but the ones that are lived. My next point is care for health. It is important to take care of our bodies. You know, that is another way we can evangelize to others and please God by taking care of our bodies. When we take care of what God has given us, because it is a precious gift. I will now quote, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. And you should be familiar with this verse. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. It is important to take care of our bodies. By the way, I also want to mention one thing about evangelism. No matter where you are, you can be a testimony to those around you. Those of you who are farmers, you can be a witness to those who help you on the farm, the farmhands. Those of you who may be involved in a business of some sort, you can be Jesus to your clients. Even parents, your children are watching how you live your lifestyle. Your life could be the Bible that they read. Even if they can't read, they're watching you and they read your actions. And also, if you just have a regular job, coworkers, a wonderful way. It can be as simple as sharing your faith or even just living the way God wants you to, you know? Practice integrity, honesty. And when they see that you're different, they'll want to know what that is. And that can open up a door to share the gospel. Maybe you are retired. There are still people you can evangelize to. Your friends, find a young person to invest in. I can name several people who are older, who have invested in my life, and I can promise you today that I am better for it because of those people. All right, my next point. Jesus in the wilderness is an example of crucifying the flesh. He went out there and he fasted for all that time. He was disciplining his body. And we should be more mindful of how we do that as well. He was practicing his ministry through the discipline of his flesh. And I think to summarize how we crucify the flesh, oh, my bad, one more thing. Prime times that the devil tempts us, because when Jesus was in the wilderness, he was disciplining his body, and the devil saw that as an opportunity to go in and tempt him. Well, and prime times that he does that is a spiritual high. Jesus had just gotten baptized. 
He was on cloud nine, you know? That was a great spiritual time for him. Sometimes we're on a spiritual high, maybe when we come back from a youth retreat or any retreat, wherever. That can be a time the devil can try to attack us. Maybe it can be a spiritual low. We're just not feeling all that connected to God like we used to. And the devil takes advantage of that to tempt us and trip us up. Sometimes when we're happy, we can be like, I'm feeling really good today. You know, maybe I'll just do this over here. Even though it doesn't make God happy, I'm in a good mood. Sometimes we're happy. That can be a time we are tempted. When we're depressed, we can be like, I'm feeling really bad today. I mean, I just don't feel right. I need a pick-me-up. And sometimes we can view sin as a pick-me-up. Now, I'm not perfect either. I've fell before because of this. In either one of these times, you are not alone. None of us are. Sometimes we're angry. Sometimes situations, they don't go the way we want to. And we're like, I'm just so angry right now. And then we think, you know what? This is God's fault. So maybe if I participate in this sin over here, it makes me feel good. If, maybe it will make him feel bad. And sometimes it's our way of getting back at God. Maybe we're confused. Like, I, I hear all these Christians arguing about what's right, what's wrong. You know, what doctrine is biblical and what is heresy. I'm just so confused right now. Maybe I should just give up. Maybe you're indifferent, thinking, you know, it really doesn't matter. I'm just going to do it. And you know what? Sometimes we fall into this lie. If I sin, if I do this right now, hey, God will forgive me, so it's all good. And then, finally, the one I can think of, we're in, we're in despair. We're thinking, I give up, you know? I've tried, and I've tried, and it, nothing is working. I just can't seem to please God like I want to, so I give up. I'm done. And that's another way the devil can trip us up, take us into sin. And here we go. The summary, consecration. Consecration is basically when we surrender our greatest fears and desires to God. That's one way we consecrate ourselves. One verse that I think of when I think of consecration is Romans 12, 1 through 2. You might be familiar with this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. A living sacrifice. We give everything we are to God. Everything we have to God. That's another way we consecrate ourselves. A living sacrifice. Like the last verse said, we are not our own. We were bought with a price. We should honor God with how we treat our bodies and with how we live our life. And also the final thing is a quote that I got from my pastoral leadership professor, Dr. Adams, at Liberty University. We make a commitment to give God whatever he wants, whenever he wants it, wherever he would suggest. That's probably one of the best definitions of consecration in a nutshell that I've ever heard. I thought that was pretty good. We make a commitment to give God whatever he wants, whenever he wants it, wherever he would suggest. 
That is consecration. That is crucifying the flesh. When you give it to God, you die to your sins daily. You say, you know what? I'm going to choose consciously not to participate in this sin over here. I'm going to choose to live for God. I'm going to make that commitment. When we consecrate ourselves to God, it makes him so happy. So happy. And then the second thing, actually, which talks about the verse 2 in the verse we just talked about in Romans, the mind. I'll repeat that verse. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Our mind needs to be transformed. It says do not be conformed, but be transformed. In other words, when the world tells us to think a certain way, we should not follow what they say. We should follow what God's word says. So whenever the world says, for example, if two people love each other, why shouldn't they get married? Well, what does the Bible say? My, one thing my parents have done a good job of raising me is whenever someone tells you something, filter it through the word of God. What does the Bible say about that? And that is how you discern what is of God and what is of man. Your mind needs to be transformed, and that can be done by reading the scripture and prayer. Also, we should keep our mind full of good stuff. I call it the Peter Pan principle. In Philippians 4, 8, I will say that right now. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, Think about these things. I call it the Peter Pan principle because if any of you are familiar with Peter Pan, when they're in Neverland, of course, Peter Pan, he can fly. But how does he do it? Well, he thinks happy thoughts. And whenever you think a happy thought, you fly in Neverland. That's just how it works. And that's why I call it the Peter Pan principle. You think happy thoughts, or whatever this verse says, basically. Whatever would please God should be what should be on your mind. And if you're not fully convinced that something is pleasing to God, then it is sin. All right, also I wanted to give you a quote about the mind and thinking about what pleases God. Now this one kind of got me. Watch your thoughts, for they become your words. Watch your words for they become your deeds. By the way, deeds have actions. I mean, consequences. Deeds have consequences. Watch your deeds, for they become habits. Watch your habits, for they become your character. Watch your character, for it becomes your destiny. So in a nutshell, your thoughts are capable of choosing where you will spend eternity, your destiny, that is why your thoughts are so important. You need to guard your thoughts. Choose what you think about. Like it says in Philippians, the Peter Pan principle, think about what pleases God. And finally, there is the third aspect of renewal in the Christian life about what we should crucify, and that is the soul. Regeneration. I'll quote 2 Corinthians 5.17 right here. Therefore, 
If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. When we choose Christ as our Savior, we are regenerated. That means we become a new person. We crucify the old self, and the new self is brought about. That is what is wonderful about salvation. When we choose Christ, we are no longer the person we used to be. All that stuff is gone, taken away. We are made new in Christ Jesus. And thank God for that. And the other thing is resurrection. We are made a new person, but we have been brought from death to life. I will say these two verses here. Ephesians 2, 1 through 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. We were once dead in our sins. But you know what? Because Christ resurrected, we also can be resurrected, brought to life from our old ways. Then there's also John 5, 24 was brought to my mind. Truly, truly, I say to you, this is Jesus talking. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Because we have not accepted Christ, if we are in that position, we are dead. But when we ask Christ to renew us, to redeem us, he brings us from death to life. We can be truly made alive in Christ, regenerated, resurrected, made new, a new beginning. And that is something that no New Year's resolution can bring about. We can make all these commitments, all these goals if we want, but the truth is we cannot change ourselves. We are powerless to change ourselves. Only Jesus has the power to change us. And we are foolish, foolish to think that we can change ourselves, that through these practices and psychological practices and whatnot, that we can change ourselves. We, we can't do that. It's a worldly thought. And finally, there's rebirth. And I use the example of Jesus and Nicodemus in John 3, 1 through 21. I'm not going to read all 21 verses, but the story goes that Nicodemus snuck out at night, if my memory serves, and he saw Jesus and he wanted to ask him a question. He said, well, basically, he asked him, how do I get saved, to put it in today's terms. Jesus said, you must be born again. And Nicodemus is like, so I'm supposed to re-enter into my mom's womb and come out again? No. Rebirth means that you don't, you're not born again literally, biologically, physically, but spiritually. You're spiritually made new. Your sin is dealt with. It's biblical that God casts it as far as the east is from the west. That is how far. And you are made a new person through being born again in Christ. I'm going to give the gospel to you right now in five words. Jesus died and rose 
again. He was born that we may have life, like what was said up here earlier. He came to this earth because he saw our position. He saw that we are hurt in pain. Under the curse of sin, he's like, I have to do something about this. They can't save themselves. So he was born. He became human. If you were given the choice to become human, would you do it? If you knew you would go through pain and suffering, those who love you would hurt you, those you thought you could trust stabbed you in the back and lied to you? Well, guess what? Jesus knew all those things would happen to him. May I remind you that Judas, who claimed he loved Jesus, stabbed him in the back, betrayed him. How many of us have been in that position? How many of us have been tempted to do away with that person? Well, they don't deserve my friendship. They don't deserve my love. They stab me in the back. They can deal with it. That's not how Jesus saw it. Jesus came. When he came down here and died on that cross, he had people like you and me in mind. I'm pretty sure he even had Judas in mind when he came down here. He had people like Kim Jong-un in mind, Adolf Hitler. Some of the worst people you think of was on his mind as the life poured out of him on that cross. So if you think you're a bad person, I can tell you that Jesus loves you very, very much. He gave his life for you and for me. That is the gospel. He didn't stay dead. He came back to life. He rose again so that he could raise us again. He died so that, he could, so that in our death, we could be raised again from our sin. He became sin, who knew no sin, that we might become his righteousness. And because of that, if we believe in Jesus and what he did on the cross, we can have new life, a new beginning, renewal, a fresh start. Some people think they have all the time in the world to believe in Jesus. Oh, I have my whole life ahead of me, some people think. Well, you know what, when I thought about that, I thought of a YouTube video I saw a while back when I was in elementary school. Back in Virginia, this is in Sunday school. And in this video, there's a pastor preaching about the rapture. And he said, now friends, when the Lord comes back, he had an Australian accent, he says, he's going to take his church back to heaven. And we do not know the time when he shall return. The Lord could come back this month. The Lord could come back this week. The Lord could even come back, boom! Big flash of light. The Bible that the preacher was holding just fell to the ground. Open, just like that. The church, empty. Well, almost empty. There's a few people that saw that big flashlight. They stood up, they looked around, they had no idea what was going on. They could hear thunder, but everyone just gone. There's just a few people picked out there. One man who is standing there, 
realized what had happened, and he sunk to his knees and just started weeping. Now, I have a question for you hearing that story. If Christ were to come back right now, boom, his church is gone. Will you still be here? Will you be one of those looking around, wondering what happened? What if you look next to you, and in horror you saw that your wife, gone, your husband, gone, your children, gone, your friends, gone, your family, gone, and you're still here. And then you'll wonder, why didn't I listen? This is the truth, my friends. I'm telling you this because I love each and every one of you very much. And if the time were to happen that Jesus were to come back, even today, it would be my joy to see this church completely empty. So ask yourself, if Jesus were to come back, would you be standing here? That is why it is so important to get this now, today. I can't even guarantee that after you walk out that door today that you will come back here next Sunday. I can't guarantee that. Life is short. None of us knows when our time is. Finally, once we make the decision to follow Christ and become a Christ follower, we live our life in the Spirit. This verse I got from Galatians 5, 16 through 17. This is Paul speaking. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So when we live by the Spirit, we crucify the flesh. To live as Christ would want us to live in the Spirit is to not live the way the world tells us to live or the way the devil wants us to live. And I will also say verse 25, because I felt the need to say this. If we live by the Spirit... Let us also keep in step with the Spirit. In other words, what the Spirit of God would have us do, we should be doing that. Our actions, our attitudes, our thoughts, our motivations, everything should be conformed to that of Jesus Christ because Jesus was a man led by the Spirit. And if we are men and women led by the Spirit, then we'll be keeping in step with the Spirit. We please God by doing that. Well, the title of the sermon was The Crucified Life, and here is the summary of all of this. Galatians 2.20, like Lorena mentioned earlier. This is the verse that encompasses it all, in my opinion. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
when we have been crucified with Christ, our flesh is crucified. The things that we want to do with our flesh, those sins that we struggle with, it's crucified. We're dead and we're brought alive in Christ. Our mind, our thoughts, we crucify our thoughts and we are made alive in Christ through the renewal of our mind. Because especially in today's culture, folks, our mind needs renewing constantly, daily. And then finally, there's our spirit. Our spirit is made alive through Christ. When we become a Christ follower, we identify, we identify ourselves with Christ. In other words, he was crucified, so we crucify ourselves. He was raised to life, and we are brought to life because of what Jesus did for us. It's a wonderful feeling, a new beginning, a fresh start. You know, I've been seeing these pictures on social media and whatnot, people posting selfies of themselves. It's a new year, it's a new me. Well, then I got to thinking, what about a new year, a crucified you? Hmm. It's a new year, but if you choose to live the crucified life, you will truly be a new you. You can't just skip crucifying your flesh, your thoughts. You can't skip those things. That is how you become new. You can't do it yourself. Folks, we all need Jesus' help to live the crucified life. I need help daily. We need help daily. So ask yourself, where do I see myself on December 21st, 31st, in 2016? Think about it. I know when that day comes, I will probably ask myself, did I do a good job of crucifying myself this past year? My sins? Have I seen change? Am I becoming a better Christ follower? Am I growing spiritually? Is another question. You know what? I am willing to bet that if you chose to willingly crucify yourself every single day, if you look back, you might see mended relationships, broken relationships. Maybe there's someone in your life right now who you're not speaking to. They hurt you. You hurt them. My suggestion this year, find them and make it right. So on December 31st of this year, you can look back and say, you know, I'm really glad I did that. That person may have hurt me, or I may have hurt them, but I went and I made it right, and I mended that broken relationship. And you know what? Plus one for friends. Maybe there's someone you need to seek forgiveness. Maybe there's someone you know you hurt with your words, your actions. Maybe you were deceitful with someone and you need to seek forgiveness. That is one way you can mend a broken relationship, just by asking forgiveness. Please forgive me. I was wrong. I did not rep... My dad, whenever, you know, he would make a mistake towards me or my brother, he would say, I am sorry, I did not represent Christ well. 
We all make mistakes. And we don't always represent Christ like we should. And we need to seek forgiveness. If you live a crucified life, you will look back and you will say, wow, I witnessed a lot of God moments. I know this is true of me. I have listened to many public speakers and they say, oh, well, in this tribe in Africa, we didn't know the language at all. And I just spoke to them the best I knew how, yet they understood every word. And most of the tribe was saved that day. And we're like, wow, what a God moment. And I asked myself this. Why don't I experience more of those? How can I experience more of those? The answer is a crucified life. It's the only way. Also, spiritual growth. You'll witness spiritual growth. That pretty much speaks for itself right there. I also want to touch really quick on the topic of faith in Galatians 2.20. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. We have a huge lack of faith today. I have a huge lack of faith today. I was thinking the other day, what is it that causes our lack of faith? What is it that causes us to lose our faith? I hear people say things like, well, God let me down. That doesn't sound like the God I know. And I thought, how could that be? Then I thought of this. Picture this. You have a leaky pipe in your house, okay? You call the plumber and say, hey man, I got this leaky pipe. Can you come over here and fix it for me? Yeah, sure, I'll be right over. Thank you. Before he shows up, you grab your toolkit and you go to work on the pipe yourself. And then you end up breaking the pipe. Plumber comes in, says, why didn't you wait for me? And it ends up costing you more than it would have in the first place if you would have just waited for the plumber to fix the pipe. Now apply that to the Christian life. How often do we say, Lord God, I need your help in this situation. I'm in a sticky spot. I need you, Lord. And we say that prayer, and then we go and we try to fix it ourselves. That's not faith. That's asking God to do something. And then you just say, I'll just do it myself. It's not faith when you ask God to do something, but yet you rely on yourself to do it. And then, let's say that after that pipe gets broken, when the plumber says, you're late, where were you? My pipe is busted now. If you would have shown up earlier, this wouldn't happen. What if that's true in the Christian life? You go to fix it yourself, things end up worse than before, and then you blame God. You shake your fist at God and say, why weren't you here earlier? This is your fault. That's when people abandon their faith, and they lose faith in God. Sometimes I believe in the Christian life, we have more faith in prayers and in ourselves than in God. Yeah, we can say the prayer, Lord help us. But when it comes down to trusting in God, that's when we fail. Sometimes I thought of this when I was, I was driving home last night, and uh, I had a little conversation with God, and I said, God, is there anything else you want me to share with these people? 
And on this topic of faith and the example of the plumber, he brought this verse to my mind. It's a, the first sentence in Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. So instead of saying the prayer and trying to fix it yourself, be still and know that he is God, the one who loves us, the one who sustains us, the one who provides for us, the one who loves us, the one who cares for us. If we were to be still and know that he is God, know what he is capable of, know that he loves us, our faith can go from here Skyrocket. The new year, the crucified you. So I will challenge you today, I guess with this. If you have not trusted in Christ as your Savior, if you have not put your faith in him, maybe you've said the prayer, maybe you said, oh Lord, please save me. But then, when it comes down to it, like the example of the plumber, you go out and you still try to earn your way into heaven. Okay, I have to do all these good things now after I said the prayer. Well, our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. God alone does the saving. We have to trust him. And the more we trust him, it's more of a relationship issue. Sometimes people view God as this cosmic cop who gives all these rules. Oh, don't do this. Don't do that. Go to church. That's not it. It's more of a relationship. Just like I obey my parents, yeah, it's the rules, but I do it because I know they love me, and I love them. That's why I obey them, and that's how it is. That's how it should be with God. Lord, you set this rule, but I love you. I know you want what's best for me. I'm going to follow that rule. I'm going to do what you ask of me because I love you. You serve those whom you love. We need to daily crucify our desires. What the flesh desires, what the mind desires. It's a daily thing. It's not, just, it's not just you accept Christ and say, dear God, please save me. You're sincere about it. You put your faith in it. And it's not like all your problems disappear. Poof, gone. They lived happily ever after. That's not how it works. It will be hard. You will experience pain, suffering for Jesus' sake. Jesus promised that. Not exactly what I would call motivation to follow Christ. But at least Jesus loved us enough to tell us the cost of being a disciple. But in the end, all things work out for those who love God, who work do his will. We are dying to live. Every day, we crucify our flesh. We kill our desire for sin. And we are dying to live. Like, like was said earlier, we don't do it to get a crown that will fade away and wither, but a crown that will last forever. 
And if we do that, we will see the results of a crucified life. And we will be blessed for it. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.